And welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, could be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and literally everywhere. Every media sharing platform, we're pretty widely available. With me tonight, as always... My co-host, Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? I'm excellent. Good. That's a, that's a good way to be. Yeah. Uh, also with us tonight is a special guest. His work can be found on MassLive.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Smitty on MLB. Christopher Smith. Chris, how are you? Good. I'm excellent, too. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> if we don't have an excellent show, then shame on us. Yes. Uh, why don't you, uh, for anyone uh, listening that may be not so familiar with you, why don't you uh, give everyone your background and you know what led you to uh, become a beat writer with the Boston Red Sox? Yeah, so I've been covering the, the team actually since 2010 in some you know, you know, in some capacity, um, you know, mostly uh, home games from 2010 through 2014. Worked at the Eagle Tribune from from that time, and you know, basically covered home games and high school sports and what general assignment report or whatever they wanted me to do. Uh, before that, I worked in Missouri for a couple of years, uh, but I got the job at Mass Live 2000. 15 season, and uh, so, you know, that's basically all I do now is Red Sox, Red Sox, Red Sox, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was it was a dream job growing, growing up, you know, um, that was really actually, my mother pulled out a uh, journal that I wrote, or a, uh, yeah, a journal or something I wrote about myself, I think it was like an autobiography I wrote in the fourth grade, you know, and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up, and I said, baseball player, but after that I want to be a Red Sox beat reporter, like, you know, like an actual, you know, baseball player would then become a, uh, a beat reporter. But, um, obviously I suck at baseball. So, uh, you know, I ended up becoming the reporter and not the baseball player. But, you know, I mean, when you're doing it, I mean, you, you know, when you, when you go to grad school for journalism and stuff like that, you think that, you know, it's, it's not ultimately going to happen. You're not ultimately going to have the Red Sox beat reporter job because there's there's few of them. 
And so, you know, you kind of accept the fact that you're going to be a high school reporter or something like that. That's what I did in Missouri for for two years. And, you know, I came back here and I was lucky enough to, to get the opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I feel fortunate every day that it kind of worked out that way because I know that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way for a lot of people. Chris, how, how much access do you have to the players themselves? Yes, I mean, the access is great. Um, You know, down at Fort Myers, I was down there for a month, and, I mean, you know, you get an hour before they go out and work out. You get an hour after they come back. So you're just, you're standing around the clubhouse. The players are there. You're talking to them. You know, you can chat off the record. You can chat on the record. Uh, You can just chat about, you know, their you know their favorite hobbies and stuff like that you know Rick, Rick Purcell likes fishing and talk to him about that um, but you know I mean in, in you know basically a normal day of covering the Red Sox is you know going to the ballpark at two o'clock in the afternoon because the clubhouse opens at three o'clock and that's at home at Fenway it opens at three on the road it opens at about three thirty. And you're in there till about five on the road. Uh, it's over for about an hour and a half, and you have that amount of time to work on features and talk to baseball players, and and uh, then you go out and interview, you know, Alex Gore in the dugout or whatever. So I mean, there's there's just a ton of access with baseball as opposed to other sports. I know that in the NBA uh, they give you about a half an hour before games. Uh, it's just it's just a lot of access in the in MLB that you just you don't get in other sports which is it's cool I mean I, I've kind of you know I, you know from my experience with the Eagle Tribune and, and with Mass Live I've, you know even with Mass Live I've covered a little bit of other sports and uh, you know you just don't get it anywhere else it's, 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 that's why I think a lot of baseball players like uh, a lot of baseball writers like covering baseball it's because you know I mean it, it can be boring. It can get hectic at sometimes. You know, both the games can be long, and you know it's a long season, and everything. But it's fun because you know you're there, and you get all this accessibility. So, one one thing that you said there, Chris, really sparked my interest based on um, the on the record, off the record discussion. Uh, I'm an attorney, and it's really important in my career. Um, I don't think it's something that a lot of people understand that aren't, and I don't understand it, and that's why I'm asking. How hard is it to develop the trust with the players so that you can have that on-the-record, off-the-record dichotomy um, where you, they can say things to you knowing and trusting you that you're not going to bl- put them on blast on Twitter or in an article? Yeah, so, I mean, you want to do your job diligently and you want to, you know, I mean, if there's, I mean, they've got to understand that there's things that you have to write about the team, you know, and that there's, you know, it's not all going to be positive. Um, So they understand that, but you do want, you know, I've always felt like it's important to to talk to the players and, um, you know, get to know them more than just, uh, you know, going up for an interview for them and just kind of using them as an interview, uh, using them for an interview and using them for your story. So, for example, like, you know, I'll often talk to them about, you know, stuff like, you know, I'll go up and my wife's pregnant now. I, I've gone up and talked to them about that and, and I learned, you know, a couple other 
you know, uh, players are have wives that are pregnant right now, and and they're asking me how my wife is doing, and you know, stuff like that, and you know, so you're chatting with them, and then you know, I've got I got a lot of information. I had two two conversations down to spring training that I got some very interesting information from two players, <laughs> to say the least. And, you know, I said to my boss, I said, well, you know, I mean, it stinks that I can't write this. But I was like, you know, if that helps develop a relationship where, you know, I mean, they trust you and they tell you something else down the road that is on the record, that helps. So, I mean, you you don't want to be the type of person that just like, you know, they, they understand that you do have a job and they... You want to be diligent. You want to report the important stuff. You don't want to keep things from the readers. But there's also things that they may say that they're like, you know, I, I really shouldn't have said that, or I don't want that. You know, I really don't want this out there right now, and yada yada yada. And uh, that you know, they ask you not to write it, and if they don't ask you not to write it a lot, um, then you, you can, you know, you know, you can kind of say to them, well, you know this one time and stuff like that, you know, I'm not going to do it and stuff like that. But, uh, so, so you kind of develop relationships and a lot of it is talking with them and getting to know them instead of just saying, you know, you know, what about that hit you got in the fourth inning today? Because the, the people that do that are the ones that get the stories. Chris, you've uh, you said you kind of came into it in uh, 2015, so y- that was a hell of a year to kind of break through, you know, because we had Sherrington at the start of it, and then Dombrowski takes over, and it was a last place year, and then we kind of ascended to a World Series. And uh, getting to the actual team now, uh, you know, seeing what you've seen over the last few years, scale of one to ten, how concerned? are you with this bullpen compared to years past? Yeah, so I think um, I think I would put it on a, on a five because, you know, I mean, obviously the bullpen doesn't look good on paper right now. I mean, you've got, you know, even if you think about Brazier, I mean, he's, you know, except for uh, half a season in the major leagues, he really is not proven. Um, you know, Matt Barnes has had control issues and, he always seems to struggle come August or September. Um, obviously, he had a good postseason last year, but he struggled at parts during the second half throughout his career, you know, early career so far. So um, there's definitely concerns, and, uh, you know, they don't have much beyond Brazier and, uh, you know, in, in, in Barnes and, you know, Hembry, which I don't, put, I don't, you know, I'm not a huge Hembry guy anyway. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, he was used a lot of situations last year with runners in scoring position, you know, coming into games and, you know, I, he just didn't do the job, you know, and I, he just doesn't do it for me, but, um, you know, they, they don't have a lot right now, but I also look at it, it, you can always improve your bullpen before the July 31st trade deadline and you can improve it for you know prospects that aren't top prospects and we've seen that in years past where you could you know trade guys that are you know you know in your uh you know your 
15th you know best prospect your 20th best prospect you can you can package those guys you don't have to package top 10 prospects to get relievers so that's one thing and then the other thing is is that i have belief that they can go into the system this year and get some guys out that can make an impact some of the young guys like travis lincoln's um you know durbin feltman uh you know, I look at Darwin, uh, Darwinson Hernandez as <laughs> a guy. Now, obviously, I would, you know, I think that they ultimately want to see him as a starting pitcher. But if he comes up halfway through the year and he's a dominant, you know, uh, a dominant reliever, that's great. Another guy is Mike Schwarm. You know, I mean, he's going to be a starter. Uh, he's a depth starter at AAA. He's not on the 40-man roster yet. But if, if they need him to, you know, come in as a reliever, then you know he's a guy that could do that. So they have some, they have some ability. They have some talented arms at the uh, higher levels of, of the uh, minors, and they can always make those moves. So it might be a, it might be a project at the beginning. And a lot of times with the Red Sox, I think that they think that they can get away with this because of their advanced scouting and their ability to pitch to the, you know quote-unquote, blue areas, uh, you know, as opposed to the red areas, and, you know, how they did that in the postseason last year, and, you know, everybody thought the bullpen sucked last year going into the postseason, and it didn't. I mean, that bullpen was one of their strengths, and some of these guys like, you know, uh, Barnes and, and, and Brazier were just lights out the postseason, and they pitched, They, I mean, just the advanced scouting, and their ability to pitch to, you know, their opponent's weaknesses, you know, was was their their strength. So, I mean, if they can do that, uh, but that also takes talent. So we'll see. But right now, I'm not I'm not overly concerned. Although it could be a <laughs> it could be a disaster right out of the gate, and you know, we'll we'll see. So I have two follow ups to that, Chris. Um, the first one, which is I think the obvious question, which the people that are listening to this podcast are going to want to know where's Kimball? Where's he at? What's the, what's the update? What's going on with him? Yeah, it's just so, so bizarre because, you know, he, he wanted, you know, six years, a hundred million. And, you know, I think that, um, there, the, the market's not only been, you know, uh, the, the market has, is, it hasn't been there for Kimball, I think not only because of the slow market in general that we've seen the past two off-seasons, free agent-wise, but do you really want to pay a closer that kind of average annual salary, that kind of overall, you know, guaranteed money, a hundred million, even if you were to guarantee him, you know, 70 million over a certain amount of time. Um, especially a guy like Kimbrell, who, you know, has had some control problems, Yes, he's very, you know, he is a reliable, he's a very reliable reliever, he, you know. But, I mean, he, he's a guy that he doesn't fit the type of mold of what you want from a reliever nowadays. You, what you want from a reliever nowadays is like a Zach Britton, you know, Andrew Miller type, where, you know, they're willing to pitch the eighth inning. They're willing to, you know, go six outs. Uh, and they're uh, able to go six outs. Um, Kimball seems like the guy that, and I've always thought this, is the guy that just wants to pitch, you know, the final three outs of the game. He wants to record his save and, you know, 
he struggles when he pitches more than three or four outs. Uh, so, you know, I think the, the market isn't there for a closer right now. I think a lot of teams, including the Red Sox, feel like they'd rather, you know, put go with a closer like a Brazier or a Barnes because they want, you know, they want a guy that doesn't have, you know, that, that isn't, um, you know, that isn't the high-profile, you know, superstar who, who will say, oh, I'm only pitching the ninth inning, as opposed to, like, you know, the, the, the guy that's, in, you know, pre-arbitration or in his first year of arbitration that will say, yeah, I have to pitch the eighth inning because, you know, I have no, you know, I really am not a superstar. So I think teams want that nowadays, and, and you know, that's the way things are trending. So I think that hurts Kimbrough right there. And I think that's a, not what a lot of people are talking about. I think his market, the, the big thing is with his market, the Red Sox better hope that he signs before the draft or they're not going to get their compensation draft pick. Now, it's not a huge compensation draft pick anyway. It's after the fourth round, but, you know, anything helps when you're trying to rebuild the system. But I just, I, I haven't heard anything on his market because, you know, except for teams not wanting to sign Craig Kimbrell. And the Red Sox just appear not interested at all. So, well, I love your commentary. I love your commentary on his inability to appreciate that. And I would also extend that to his inability to perform in non-safe situations. Personally, um, I would overpay for a one-year deal because this team is loaded, and I think that we're already going to be over the the, the, the luxury tax commit to try to go back-to-back back here, and then if, if it doesn't work out or he's not the same player next year or whatever may be the case, you need the money for Mookie or Bogey or whatever, then you're free to, to have him back off the books next year and he's a free agent again. My second follow-up question, Chris, um, you mentioned a bunch of AAA guys, some of which, uh, like Lakins, I've heard of, some of which I haven't. And um, my, qu- my second follow-up to this topic is, how adaptable are these bullpen arms going to be in the in the major league setting when you're talking about these guys being AAA starters? Um, I, and I'm going to assume, based on your answer with regards to where they are in their careers, that they're going to be adaptable because they want to be major leaguers, they want to make major league money. But it's not necessarily the willingness I'm asking about; it's the capability of and how adaptable can they be. Yeah, well, you know, Hernandez, who's had an excellent spring training and is their top pitching prospect in the organization. Baseball America ranks him the number three prospect in the organization behind Dahlbeck and Chavis. Um, he's got, uh, you know, a ton of talent. They really want to see him, you know, start, you know, start games, and, you know, and, and but Dombrowski has said if they need to move him to the bullpen, they need to move him to the bullpen. Uh, if that's where the need is uh, this year, um, you know, I, I I don't think it's as hard for young guys, and I think that it's interesting. Like you know, a guy like Schworn, who's another guy now. Travis Likens had a really easy transition to a reliever last year. He's a guy that could come up. Uh, Durbin Feltman, who's you know got that closer pedigree at uh, TCU. 
obviously could come up. But Mike Schworn is a you know I was talking to him at spring training. You know he's a guy that was a, I think he was a fifth round pick out of Maryland, and he's at AAA, and he's really talented. He was supposed to go first round back in I think it was 2016, but. He ended up going to the fifth round because his strikeout numbers were down his final year at Maryland, and people were concerned about a potential injury and stuff like that. But, you know, he said to me, he's like, you know, you have to, we understand nowadays, and he pitched, he pitched in relief in the Arizona Fall League. He's like, you know, I'm sitting there in the Arizona Fall League watching Nathan Evaldi and Rick Purcello and Chris Sale and David Price come out of the bullpen you know, on days they don't start. Um, so, so as young guys here, we have to understand that we, we have to adapt to that role really quickly if that's what we're called upon to do. You know, we, we, can, we have to be relief pitchers because those if those guys can do it, you know, we, we, we can do it. And so I, I don't think it's, it would be too uh, drastic or too hard of a, you know, a, a lot of people come up as relievers uh, their first year, you know, and, you know, establish themselves in the major leagues because of that. I mean, you saw it with Justin Masterson, you know, and, and he helped that, um, the, the 2004 club out, you know, as a reliever before establishing himself as a starting pitcher. And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw either Hernandez or Schwarm do that and, and then as I said Lakins and, and Feltman are already relievers so you know any of those four guys right there and obviously they're they're still on the who could be the next Brazier in the system somebody that we don't know about that could come up and you know and be the next Brazier and you know which I don't know if that's going to happen this year that <laughs> It's, it's a hard thing to do, <laughs> to, to, to replicate. Uh, last thing on the bullpen before we move on. How long or short is the leash on Tyler Thornburg? It seems like the physical stuff is fine. His velocity is fine. He seems to have recovered you know, from the thoracic outlet surgery in, in that regard, but he can't seem to command the ball and I'm just wondering is this a guy who can pitch in Fenway because you know a lot of relievers in the past have not been able to so like I said how how short or long is the leash on him as we you know get ready for opening day it's funny like you talk about like uh back in the day it was actually funny because Durbin Feldman made the comment today when he pitched his uh, spring training game. A lot of his, like, you know, he used to be told, oh, go, you know, go down in the strike zone when he's at TCU. Now he's being told, go up in the strike zone. That's the same thing with Thornburg. You know, to be effective, he has to be up in the strike zone with his fastball. And, you know, he's, you know, he's throwing down right now and he's getting hit. And a lot of that's obviously a counter, you know, launch angle now is to throw up in the, in the strike zone. And so with Thornburg, it's interesting with him because I, I've known this is coming, you know, because he, he's a guy that historically has struggled, you know, during spring training uh, throughout his career. And so it, I knew it was going to be difficult to judge whether he, you know, the, the, the you know, 
is this the Thornburg that can help this Red Sox team in 2019 during spring training? Because he's historically been a bad spring training pitcher. Um, if you look at his numbers, is over you know throughout his spring training career, he's had, he has an ERA over seven. And so I asked Dombrowski this question back in, uh, I think it was January. I said, how do you evaluate him? And they said, you know, different ways. It doesn't have to just be the numbers. But at this point, Core is like, you know, next starts, you know, it's go time with him. And so I think that you have to, I think you have to start thinking that if he doesn't have a good couple starts, you know, in his remaining starts, over the next couple of weeks before they break spring training uh, camp, then he could be designated for assignment because um, you know I mean they they just got to make a decision with him you know to move on or not and um, you know I mean they do save some money that you know if, if he pitches poorly during the season they're not going to get back if they designate him for assignment and he clears the waivers and goes to the minors that's going to be you know that's more money that's added to the, you know, the CBT. And so they get rid of some of that money off the CBT if they get rid of it before opening day. So, I mean, you know, they might just cut their losses with them. I think that he needs to start, the results need to, to be there over the next couple outings. If they're not there, he, you know, he's definitely in jeopardy of, of being designated. And actually, just one more question. He could, if designated and then not claimed, the Red Sox could kind of do what they did with Carson Smith and maybe put him on a minor league deal, couldn't they? And then let him work it out down in Pawtucket? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think uh, how many times he... he was ne- He's never been designated before, so he could take an outright assignment. And so, yeah, I mean, he would be outrighted to he would be outrighted to triple a Pawtucket, but i mean his his money still would count against the c b t but um you, oh, so you're saying if they were to designate him before the season starts because somebody else could pick him up too if they if they designate him he could he may not clear waivers right I mean, somebody might take a chance on him yeah so, I mean, you know there's always the possibility somebody could take a chance on him and, and that is a good possibility right there. True. Yeah, the stars would have to align. Chris, I have one more follow-up on the pen, um, and I actually read your articles today on Mass Live. The bullpen, basically before today, has been an absolute dumpster fire. How encouraged are you by Hembry's outing today, Workman's outing today, Workman's uptick in velocity today, and, and just how they performed it? Do you feel like maybe as we get here within two weeks of opening day, this is this is a good sign or or, or kind of an aberration because of how bad the relievers the relievers have performed to date down in Fort Myers? It's unbelievable. Uh, Henry like on uh, his first uh, first spring training appearance had nine pitches, nine strikes. Uh, that's actually pretty damn good. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, I mean look at uh workman's velocity was back a little bit um you know i mean it was 90 91 um and but it was up 92 93 before that and the last the 
their two previous outings, they really dipped to 80, 88, 89, stuff like that. So it's not completely back to where it was before. And so there's always the possibility they could put Workman on the DL. Uh, he's out of minor league options for the first time in 2019. So there's always the possibility that if the, if the um, velocity isn't there, that they could put him on the DL. Yeah, it's encouraging that Henry had that out, and it's encouraging that Workman, you know, velocity kicked up. But they have some options with, you know, with with Workman if his velocity continues to, you know, if if his velocity goes back down below ninety, they could put him on the DL. Pointer and Walton both throwing the ball well, and actually, Jason Mastronaro from the Herald had. You know, Donaldson Hernandez, who I've been talking about, is somebody that could, you know, that they want to see as a starter in the minor leagues this year, you know, to begin the year. Um, and then he could end up in the bullpen, you know, in the, you know, by June or July. He actually hasn't projected on his opening day roster, you know, if, if Workman doesn't make the team, is on the DL. So, you know, we could see Hernandez at the beginning of the year, if that's the case. So, you know, so I wouldn't get too worried about the results of the bullpen um, in spring training. Although, <laughs> you look at it, and Cora made a big deal about how last year's success in spring training, you know, made that, you know, made them or helped at the beginning of last year and kind of, you know, had that smooth transition into the winning in the regular season. And this really has not been a good spring training, so we'll see. Getting back to a couple of our prospects now uh, on the offensive side of the spectrum, I was assuming Michael Chavis would probably be the first one up of the near Major League Ready guys, but Bobby Dahlbeck is still with the team. He's showing better defensive prowess at this point than I expected he would. Which one of them will essentially get the first promotion with the big club? I think it it all depends on what Dahlbeck um, does when he goes down to, and I'm assuming he goes to double A. He might go to triple A, but I'm assuming he'll go to double A. And it depends on what he does, you know, offensively with his, strikeout rate. I think that's a huge question with him. You know, he strikes out a lot. And Alex Spear, who does the Baseball America stuff, um, he ranked him the number one prospect in the organization, which is, it was a surprise to me when I saw that because, you know, I was like, you know, I mean, the the strikeout rate is concerning with him. You know, I mean, as you go up and you, you see all those strikeouts, in Salem and, you know, Greenville and Salem, you, you know, how's it going to translate as he gets up higher, you know, and he already used at Portland for, for a couple of months last year, but is it, is it, how's it going to translate as he gets higher in Pawtucket and then the majors? So I think the important thing with him is, is you know, how he makes contact and that, if he does, that, that would make his uh, path to the majors quicker than Chavis because he obviously has insane power but Chavis also has really good power but you know as you said about Dahlbeck's defense he's a very good defender um, and you know he he always 
he's been considered a very good defender, um, a very good arm. He was a pitcher at Arizona, and he's got good range. You know, he makes all the routine plays, and he can. You know, they're, they're playing him some at first base this spring. He potentially could, you know, play some left field in the future, um, and that's that's a you know another position that Chavis could also play. So Chavis, you know, potentially could play some you know, third, uh, first, second in left field. So they both have some versatility uh, because, you know, obviously third base is a, a position that is, uh, you know, they have a, they have the most depth in their organization, you know, in the minors at third base or, you know, obviously they've got Devers, but then their most talented prospects are at third base. But beyond just, you know, Dahlbeck and Chavis, I mean, you, you look at that Tristan, uh, Casas and uh, who was their first round draft pick last year? And they've got Brandon Howlett, Nick Northcott. They've got a lot of minor leaguers that are high on their, you know, higher in their prospect rankings of third baseman. So these guys can move around. They have the ability to. And um, but but on track to the majors, it. it very difficult to say uh, you know Michael Shavitz is on the 40-man roster where Dalback isn't but they'll have two there they're gonna have two open spots uh, by opening day anyway on the 40-man roster they're only gonna have 30 38 men 38 men on their 48-man roster so um you know and they'd obviously make room for him at any time if he if they could get a power hitting you know if they could if a power hitting uh you know, a right-handed hitter is needed in the major leagues, but you also want to get him everyday reps too. Um, and he has a, he's had some injuries in his career, so you want to get him everyday reps, everyday at bats. So, I mean, it might be better off to have him stay in the minors if he's not getting everyday at bats too. So, the Shavers might be the first one up because of that. Chris, something Terry and I disagree on um, is I, I prefer experienced, proven veteran talent. And Terry um, is always kind of looking towards the next young player, um, whether it be for just an infusion of young talent, uh, inexpensive talent, or what, what, what may be the difference. But that's generally where we stand on young versus, you know, that, that dichotomy of veteran talent versus kind of bringing people up and, and putting them in, in that position. How much is the established talent at the major league level going to potentially suppress these young guys you're talking about as far as getting into the major league uh, part of the system and having an opportunity to perform at Fenway Park versus potentially kind of being stuck in AAA or, like you said, Dahlbach might even be in, in AA where, you know, Moreland and Pierce are at first and, uh, Rafi Devers is at third. They're just in the, I mean, the outfield's well established. Bogey's at second. Uh, assuming Petey's healthy, there's just no spot for these guys, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, Pierce and Moreland are both, you know, on their final year. So it's important for them this year if they do get a chance to prove that they can be, you know, players. I mean, look at you look at Sam Travis, and Sam Travis was a guy that we all thought would, you know, succeed. Moreland after Moreland's one-year deal, and Moreland ended up getting a two-year deal because Sam Travis never proved he could take over first base. 
So it's important that these guys show that they can handle it uh, if they're giving, given the opportunity this year because those are two guys right there, uh, Moreland and Pierce, who would be off the books next year, and they'd have an opportunity to, you know, take over that spot. Um, you know, obviously with Pedroia, he's, uh, you know, 120, 125-game year uh, player now. Um, so there's room right there. You know, with Shavis at second base, maybe um, it's always a it's always a very difficult thing in Boston because you know I mean there's there's high expectations obviously and there's not a lot of room for you know a player like Pedroia back in 2007 to to have a bad whole an entire bad whole month to begin his you know career. There's not a much patience for that. There's usually not much patience and room for that. So, um, you know, you really have to have that veteran team around him. And so a lot of these, that's why a lot of these trades happen. And, you know, a lot of play, a lot of players get moved. But, I mean, you know, guys like Ben Attendee have come up. I mean, you, there's a lot of guys that they've made room for, you know, Ben Attendee, Mookie Betts, because they're good players. So they'll make room for them if they're good players. But they have to show it. Sam Travis had his opportunity. He didn't show it. Um, these guys need to show it. If Chavis is the guy that gets the first promotion, does that make Moreland the the most likely odd man out? Because, I mean, I look at Pierce and he mashes lefty so well and he's just so tailored, you know, to destroy the Yankees, you know, you know as far as the division race goes. And I, it just seems to me like maybe it, it would be Moreland... Yeah, I think that if we, um, you know, we look at it, um, it, I guess it would have to do, I think that one of them coming up this year would either have to do with Moreland or Pierce really struggling or Dielston with one of those two. Um, and, you know, a, a prolonged injury. Uh, that's the only way I, I see one of them getting extensive time at, at first base. Um, it's, it's one of those two struggled or, or there's a DL stint. So, um, you know, I don't think they're going to just take over for Moreland if Moreland's bad, you know, 246, you know? I mean, because that's what Moreland is. So, and that's what they know Moreland is. So, Okay, and uh, you kind of touched on Dustin Pedroia. You mentioned, you know, maybe the ballpark of you know, 125 games has the few games he has played. And then, you know, the workouts on the side has confidence risen, you know, as far as whether, you know, the team and coaching staff thinks he'll be durable enough to reach those goals. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if it has within the, I think that the coaching staff specifically for is trying to downplay everything uh, because of kind of the expectations that he laid out last year, um, that he was excited about him coming back and, you know, made a big deal about it, thought that he could be a crucial player, you know, made that known that he'd be a crucial player on the team, yada, 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 where this year he's like, you know, if he comes back and he's healthy, that, that's a good thing. But, you know, I'm not going to play it out play you know play it big because this is a major knee injury and 
you know, if he's if he's going three straight days, nine innings, and he wakes up with a sore knee, you know that that could you know he could be out for two months. You know, so I think it's uh, I don't think they're trying to get too high on Pedroia. I don't think they're trying to get too low either. I think they're just trying to be realistic in a way. And I think with um, if you think about like let's think about this more in like a media respect. <laughs> Um, I didn't have much confidence in Dustin Pedroia this year, but the more I see him now, um, you know, and I was down there for four weeks and I just got home. And, um, so I saw his first few games and the confidence that he has in himself and stuff. I have more confidence in his ability to return this year than I thought, because, you know, talking to Stephen, Stephen Wright, for instance, who had the same new procedure, He's saying, oh, I'll never be 100% again. He wasn't going to be ready for the start of this year anyway, even before his, you know, PED suspension. And you're thinking, well, if Stephen Wright's not going to be ready, and he had the surgery, you know, before. Uh, he had it in May 2017. Dustin Dre had it, you know, October of, two, or October of 2017. And, you know, all these scenarios were like, uh, you know, I mean, like, Stephen Wright's a pitcher is less, you know, less toll that needs to be taken on, on a D when you're a knuckleball pitcher. How is Pedroia ever going to come back from this? But I, I actually look at it now as I think Pedroia can do it. And, um, but I think he has to be very careful. And I think it's going to be a very reduced workload. I think we'll see, Dombrowski said 20, 120, 125 games. Maybe we'll even see less than that. Maybe we'll see like 100. 100 to 110 if he has a successful, healthy year. Chris, to stay on Pedroia, but maybe shift topics just slightly, and I'm sympathetic to, to how you may have to answer this, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not purposely being more invasive than I have to be here. Um, how do you view him as a leader? Um, and let me just preface this by saying I'm not a big Pedroia fan. Um, I think he's failed as a leader since Ortiz retired. Um, but J.D. Martinez has kind of emerged in my eyes as a leader. Uh, David Price has turned the corner, and his teammates seemingly love him. And now that he's defeated the narrative that chased him for so long, he's seemingly a leader. But Pedroia was the de facto you know, captain after Ortiz retired, it doesn't feel like that's what's happening. I don't feel like he is the leader of this team, and I don't feel like he's even a top two or three leader of this team. Um, if, if you could give us any insight there, I, I think our listeners would really appreciate it. Yeah, I think that just because you're loud and you like to make jokes and stuff doesn't mean that you're a leader. And so... I think a lot was made of Pedroia being a leader more than he is a leader. You know, back when when when, um, when Ortiz retired, I don't think you know. I, I don't look at Pedroia as a leader per se. I look at him more as a guy that just goes out there, does his job, works hard. You know does his thing, helps others if he, you know, he helps. He's not the leader of the clubhouse. He's not J.D. Martinez uh, caliber. So a lot was left on him because there was expectations that he could lead when David Ortiz 
you know, retired, and that really wasn't his, that wasn't what he ever really did uh, before David Ortiz retired. It was David Ortiz was the leader of that team. And so I think that just because he was there, just because he was there the longest or because he likes to, you know, make jokes and, you know, yell and have fun, doesn't make you a leader. You know, just because you're there a long time doesn't make you a leader. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have leadership qualities, but um, I think that he's that type of guy, and I don't think that he's that type of cancer in the clubhouse that maybe people have made him up to be because he wasn't a leader. I just think, you know, he's, he's fine in the clubhouse. He, he likes to go about his business, work hard, and do his thing, and I think people appreciate that, like his ability to work hard, do his thing, um, but I think that you can't look at him as a leader. I think other guys needed to step up, and other guys did step up, but J.D. Martinez was crucial to get into the locker room or to the clubhouse last year, because he is that type of guy that wants to accept that leadership and, and to change a culture type thing. This might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Uh, we were talking about odd men out, and I mentioned Moreland, you know, with the corner infield situation. But where Pedroia hasn't swung a bat, you know, steadily since really 2017. Uh, well, actually 2016, because he was hurt for most of 2017. If the bat doesn't come back, would it shock you? If if they just simply DFA'd him. And the reason I ask this is two reasons. Number one, not many people saw the Hanley DFA coming. And number two, I don't know that that Dombrowski like that he, he's a big Pedroia guy because he inherited Pedroia and Pedroia came up under Epstein and Sherrington. So, I mean, do you think that move is in the back of their minds possibly? Uh, it's, it's difficult to say because, yeah, you're right about the, um, Hanley thing. And it's all about performance, you know, first and foremost. It's also, how many years have I had a deal? Through 20, three. 2020. Counting this year, it would be three. So that's a thing, too. I mean, you want to get some production. I mean, if, if it's not this year, then maybe next year. Um, so you might look at it that way. But um, he's also very close with, with Alex Gore. He's always been very close. Their families are very close. Um, Alex Gore talks about, you know, Kelly Pedroia and his wife and, you know, Pedroia's kids and all that and, you know, how, how, they, how, how his, his daughter loves, you know, uh, Pedroia's wife and kids and all that. So I would think that it would be a very difficult situation uh, for them to pull a Hanley Ramirez type thing and, and to surprise us all with the Petroia DFA because of that. But you also have to do what's best for your team as well. And Core is that type of guy who would <laughs> make the ruthless Bill Belichick type move if needed. I think that would just have to strictly be a Dombrowski move. And uh, they, obviously they communicate uh, a lot. Yeah. That's true. You're right. I mean, it would have to really come down from Dombrowski. I mean, we, we heard that, I mean, whether it was 
the handling was more Cora or more Dombrowski, who knows. It was probably more Dombrowski, even though Cora took, you know, even though it it was said that it was Cora. But um, I think they probably talk about it a lot together. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, Dombrowski would have to take that, that one himself in big time. Right. I mean, the, the, to just quickly chime in, the guy has owed way too much money to yeah. to extend off of the Panda issue. And some of these bad contracts were finally shedding. Uh, I'm saying we as, a, as if I'm a Red Sox. Um, but we're finally shedding these bad contracts. We can't, and the, the front office is just going to refuse to put themselves back in another spot on this contract. They're going to give this player every opportunity to be any semblance of a major league baseball player. If he's hitting 250 and he's literally 10 and 40, he's going to be playing second base for the Boston Red Sox 110 games a year. In my opinion, at least for this year and next year, until it's until it becomes a little bit more, uh, less egregious to them again, just go the way of dead money and DFA him and have to pay him for nothing. That's my opinion anyways. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, the, the years, it's just too many years left. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you look at, with Panda, with Pablo, I mean, it was, it was two, was it? Or, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's too many years left. You have to kind of see what you get with him. It was it was actually uh, the same. He he had three years left if you include the um, if yeah. you include the year he got DFA'd. Yeah, uh, and it, I mean if he if Pedroia is hitting two fifty, I think the Red Sox would be thrilled, you know, to get that type of production. I'm talking like much lower than that, and it just comes down to the ability to perform and clogging up roster spots. And admittedly, Do you think that- it, it is a long shot, but. He's a prideful guy. I mean, if he, you know, at some point, if he's not performing and he knows it's because of the knee, um, you know, if if he's really not performing to the to the best of his ability and he's hitting, you know, well below two fifty or whatever you just said, I mean, he might wrap it up himself. Yeah. Do you really do you really think he's capable of that? Because I, I'm a pretty well, self-aware. I'm a pretty self-aware guy, Chris. You would have to drag me out of the major league of major league baseball if I was making the sort of money he's making. Although, although he could get a medical, um, like a medical clearance because of that knee, like something like uh, uh, Prince Fielder did, where he's getting the remainder of the contract money, but he he's, he just keep, he's not able to play baseball anymore because of the injury. You know what? That's really interesting. So, uh, are you saying potentially that that would be picked up by an insurance policy, so it wouldn't be real money to the Red Sox? Uh, I think so. I think that's what. Oh, that's interesting. Did. And like you know, a medical. I get if it's a medical thing where you know where you can't, where you're not retiring because of your free will. You know, you're not saying, "Oh, I'm retiring." If you're retiring because of an injury. It's probably not owed. It's not owed on the CBT, and you know, I mean, I'm sure the Red Sox are paying the money, but it's not on the CBT and stuff like that. So I, I would think that that would be a way of doing it. All right, I have one final follow-up question. Um, yeah. And by the way, 
Chris, I can't tell you how appreciative Terry and I are tonight for your time. This has been absolutely unbelievable. It's been a, a very professional podcast, which some of our listeners may say is a, <laughs> a, a, a stretching from what we typically do, and I think a lot of that is a credit to you. So we really, truly, truly appreciate your time. The last question I have on Pedroia is, do you have an opinion on the deferred money of two to two point five million, I think it's eight years and like eighteen million dollars or something like that. Where he's actually gonna get paid until he's forty four or forty five years old, two million dollars a year in a Bobby Bondia type situation. Um, the first question is, is that also an additional factor in whether he sticks around despite potential performance issues? And two, and then maybe there's no good answer to this last part of it. Why were the Red Sox willing to do this? Specifically, because they have enough money to pay these people in the year that they're playing. Yeah, I think it's more the player. I, I think it's, I would have to ask, but I think it's more the player that wants this than the team. Um, you know, it's like a guy that wants now, that wants more money up front on the, like the contract, you know, front loaded than, you know, back loaded because, you know, he, especially with an opt-out clause, right? So that he can get his money up front and then maybe leave if he's playing well or if he's pitching well. I think that basically with Pajora or anybody that does this, I think it's their decision so that in retirement they're still earning a paycheck and, you know, money's still flowing through. So, you know, if, if, financial decisions go wrong or something, they're still getting a paycheck. Uh, just a couple... I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not saying that Pedroia would ever do... I'm not saying Pedroia would ever financially, you know, lose all his money, but, I mean, we have seen athletes that have, you know, lost all their money. <laughs> now, I'm not saying Pedroia would ever do that because he's a responsible guy and he has, you know two kids and a wife and you know I mean I'm not saying he would lose his money but I mean he may have been thinking like you know I want to get this deferred money so that you know I, I have this steady paycheck and that you know uh, going on so that you know I, I you know I'm getting this in increments and I don't know get it at once and it's you know so yeah that's what I would say so I'm dead on wrong because I assumed it was the same thing the Nets did in what like nineteen ninety whatever it was with Bobby Bonilla where they wanted the player but I don't think they had the cash to do it so they they did this basically basically like lifetime deal so you're saying that and now that you've said it it, it feels almost like a dumb question of course the Red Sox want to pay it in the year uh, the, the, the player is looking for a post career basically salary like any any you know. Any person would want in their career, they'd want a salary, and they'd want it to continue indefinitely. And I, I viewed that totally wrong. It, it's a really good answer, and, I, you know, that's good insight. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, some people, you know, without, I mean, you can look at it in another way, like with that Bobby Vinia thing. I mean, some organizations that are not as, um, not top, um, high market or um, big market organizations might do that. I still, I don't know, like a big market organization, uh, you know, a small market organization might do that, for instance, because, you know, even the Red Sox talk about, like, losing money, <laughs> you know, in a year, 
and they're not talking about like their Nesson. They're talking, you know, they make money every year when you include Nesson, but they actually lose money. They've lost money in certain years um, when you don't include Nesson. And that, that's, that they actually take that, like, they don't include Nesson when they factor that in, too. So, I mean, also, you know, it's not all making a, a trillion dollars like we think they are. Uh, we're kind of, we're really pushing it on time. I'd just like to get your thoughts on just a couple more things before we wrap. Uh, the catching situation, Red Sox are going to have a tough decision to make here, possibly, especially where there could be a, you know, a, quite the jam, you know, with roster spots in general. Which catcher is simply not going to be here in a couple of weeks, and what kind of value, if any, do you think they can get for whoever it is. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to any of the other uh, writers, I think they all assume that uh, that Blake Swihart's going to be traded. And um, I think that it would be foolish to trade Blake Swihart. I think that it's going to be Sandy Leone because I feel like um, they're all, like, Sandy Leone and Christian Vasquez are very repetitive. And... Um, and, you know, I, I think Christian Vasquez will lock that he'll be here. I mean, they showed their trust in him last postseason. He started 10 of the 14 games. He hung out with Core in the offseason. You know, Core, you know, made a point to hang out with him in Puerto Rico at Core, at either Core or Vasquez's house. I don't know. I forget which one. But they, they were, you know, together a lot. And um, I don't think you spend that much time with them and, and have the high comments, high praise, or um, not high praise, but, you know, talk highly about the importance of them this year unless, you know, unless he's going to be a significant part of this team. So I, I, it's either going to be Leon or, or Swihart that goes, and I think it will be Leon. He just doesn't hit. And Swihart, I mean, I don't see how you can give up on it. I mean, from a financial standpoint, it makes sense. I mean, he makes eight hundred thousand, whereas you know Leon makes two point seven or something like that, and you know he's got a year less of control. And um, you know, and you look at it, and you know, I, I make the point all the time. Jason Veritek was twenty seven years old when he played more than a hundred games for the first time in his career. Now, I'm not talking that Blake Swihart's going to be going on to have a Jason Veritek like career. But catchers develop later, and he has the ability to be a offensive and defensive catcher. He, he was very good with uh, balls in the dirt last year as opposed to his rookie season. And um, I, I just see that I, I think it will be Blake and in uh, Vasquez. All right, and uh, I guess finally uh, one of the other big topics – you know, especially in the last week and a half or so, is whether or not they'll extend Chris Sale. And it, both sides want it to happen, and it hasn't yet. And is it possible that they're kind of, you know, waiting to see, you know, maybe what his velocity looks like and his mechanics and so forth? I think that it's highly likely that if anyone gets extended, it's him. Uh, from the way that, you know, John Henry talked about it, you know, and how they screwed up the John Lester 
you know, he admitted to making a mistake with John last year at spring training in 2000 and what was it, 50 or 14. He admitted to that mistake when he was talking about Chris Sale. Um, and they say, and he made the point to say Chris Sale is completely, believe completely in Chris Sale's health and all that. So I would think that, um, if anybody gets a deal done, it would be Chris Sale. And maybe they wait until I, so I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but if it does happen, they would probably be most smart to wait until after opening data announce it just because you know, that money wouldn't go on the CBT this year. And they still are trying. I know that they're very close to the CBT, uh, going over the third threshold, which, um, you know, would put their draft pick back 10 slots again in 2020. But they, they, there is some flexibility. And if they were to announce it after opening day, that contract, you know, the average annual value of his contract would be the option year this year instead of the average annual value of the new contract. So I would do I would announce it after opening day if I was them and not during spring training. Um, but we'll see. I think that's the most likely one and I think that I if, if I was them though I would wait to see I wouldn't rush at all. I would wait to see what Purcell looks like during the regular season if he can last a full season That's before I signed it. exactly what I've been hammering away at. Why would you potentially shoot yourself in the foot, you know, and not take this last year of the deal to just take one last good hard look? Because he's had stamina issues before 2018, and then 2018 was more of an injury issue and I mean we just spent 20 minutes talking about Dustin Pedroia and how the hell we're going to get him through the last three years I, I'd i hate to have similar talks about Chris Sale you know two three four years down the line but so you, you do think that there is a little bit more risk than normal like much more so than a David Price signing you know at the time or, or what not yeah, I think there's definitely risk. I've always thought there was risk from the day that they got Chris Sale. I was very hesitant. To, I always thought that this was going to be a three-year thing and that they were going to move on because of just his arm angle and the risk of, like, when he, he's, you know, 30 in his contract year or he's going to be 31 next off season or whatever. Um... And so I always looked at it, or he's going to be 31 next winter. I don't know, whatever. But you know what I mean. You know, I always looked at it as, um, you know, just an injury risk with him, and there would only be a three-year deal. And so, or a three-year thing with the Red Sox, and that they would move on, and that they would get their next guy, because they've always found that guy, you know? I mean, they found it. With Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, Josh Beckett, you know, uh, the, you know David Price, Chris Sale. Uh, whether you like you know David Price or not, I mean, he helped them win a World Series, and you know, I mean, he, you know, he he is a a front of the line guy, and so um, you know they they've always found their guy, 
and uh, or you know, and John Lester. You know, I mean, he's the only one with this organization that, that's come up and done it. But you know, so I I always thought that they'd move on, but uh, it, it's it, I I have a feeling that they're they're going to sign him. I really do. Yeah, I I feel that way too. And you mentioned the Lester thing. You know, they're you know they're a little self conscious. They don't want another you know media firestorm and yeah and the same thing with Mookie as well I think I, I think the Lester thing might haunt them enough to get them to kind of overpay or go the extra year or two than they normally would in the past yeah and and I would it's difficult with with sale I would really um I would try to make the average annual value higher and uh, length of the contract uh, shorter. I would pay for, I would pay like, you know, more, I would pay more over a shorter length than I would, um, you know, a, a longer length contract with them just because I'd be nervous about the, the durability. I totally, I totally agree. I've been saying that for weeks. Well, look, Chris, uh, we have taken up over an hour of your time. Um, You know, I'm not a huge fan of speaking on behalf of other people, but I feel confident saying that Terry and I really, truly appreciate uh, you taking the time for our little little podcast here. Um, Specifically with me, Terry's takes are typically so poor and so pathetic that it's nice to have a professional take. Uh, So I truly appreciate it. The other thing... I knew I was going to make it in a half hour window when you said half hour. <laughs> I don't, I've been told I've been told that for days. When I'm on these podcasts, I never make it in a half hour window when people say half hour window. I was like, uh-oh, these guys don't know, man. They don't know how much I talk. <laughs> yeah, well, look, we appreciate it. I'm going to tell you right now, we've been texting uh, privately about how appreciative we are of, of the effort and, and the thought you've put into this. And, um... You know, we're doing this as a hobby, and to have someone uh, that that has the the pedigree that you have to give us the time, I, I can't understate how much we truly, truly appreciate. Finally, as a as a uh, a final thought for me, I am a father of two young children. So, congratulations to you and your wife for uh, the pregnancy and and your newborn baby that's coming. So, that's that is the best thing to happen to you. And and uh, you know, again, we we really truly cannot thank you enough. Yeah, we actually went to a doctor's appointment today, so uh, we've only got uh, five more months left. We're on, we're done with four months, so we're <laughs> we're cooking now. Well, look, uh, you know, I follow you on Twitter. Message me privately if you have any interest. I have two young kids, but uh, it's the best. It, it, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be the longest five months because the anticipation and the excitement slows down time for you. But once that baby comes, man, time speeds speeds up faster than you could possibly imagine. Uh, and, uh, Terry, unless you have any final thoughts, man, again, Chris, I, we really, truly, truly appreciate this. And we're not just saying it to say it. It's, it's, uh, this is, uh, important for our podcast. So thank you so much. Anytime. Yeah. And that's, uh, good enough for me. I think my takes are a little better than my partner was, uh, giving me credit <laughs> for, but that's okay. <laughs> no, they, they are. 
ethically bad, typically. But anyways, we'll, we'll save that for the next podcast there. Okay, fair enough. And uh, thanks again, Chris. Have a good night. I know, and, you, got, uh, I know you got good takes, Jerry. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good, man. All right. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, have a great night. Enjoy the uh, start of the season. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good, have a good start of the season for you guys, too. Good night. All right. Bye. Well, all right. Uh, you still here, Jeremy? Oh, did I lose you? Well, apparently I'm all by myself. But uh, great interview with Chris. And uh, hope you guys all enjoyed it. Truth be told, I, I had so many other questions. Oh, there's Jeremy. I was just uh, wrapping, Jeremy. I was just saying how uh, I had at least probably five questions on there that we didn't get to. I really wanted to ask him uh, what his favorite proposed rule change was and then what his least favorite might be. But uh, <laughs> we we uh, took up quite a bit of time with uh, the other ones. But I think we nailed uh, all the, you know, the necessary uh, topics. Yeah, well, you know, you don't want to monopolize his time, and you know he's back on it tomorrow with you know whatever the Sox are doing. So, totally agree. Um, that was. Uh, I hope our listeners truly appreciate it. And uh, um, Terry, uh, props to you for getting someone like that to come on the podcast and uh, you know give us that insight. Give us to have someone inside the clubhouse. Um, is immensely important for for background and his opinions carry more weight as a as a result. I think so. Anyways, uh, hopefully our listeners like this. If they do, please retweet it. Please uh, at Chris uh, so his his followers uh, have an opportunity to listen to the podcast and and we'll see you on the next one. Yeah, and I probably should have had him do it, but his work can be found at MassLive.com. You can find him on Twitter again, at Smitty on MLB. And I will say he... You know, he's a lot more active than most of the beat writers and kind of has a, a personal touch on, you know, his tweets. He kind of gives you... It doesn't necessarily, you know, end up being baseball all the time, but it's uh, he's definitely an entertaining follow. And uh, I encourage people to seek him out on there. I'll uh, I'll cut you loose, Jeremy. Good show. And uh, if uh, no major developments take place, we'll probably uh, uh, we'll probably get back on uh, middle of next week. All right, Kent. Night. Have a good one, man. All right, so that will wrap up. I think this was episode one sixteen. I never remember. I'll, uh, I always do when I'm uploading it because, you know, the previous ones are right there. But, again, thanks for tuning in and uh, have a great rest of your week. Take care. And I